want to go to there. Snipe! Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, yes. 30 Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, but hearts get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsnick and I'm joined, as ever, by Simon Howell. Simon, from a new and undisclosed location. Yes, I've actually repurposed the old Sound On Sight hover yacht. And uh, is, Are you familiar with that? I, I am familiar. I am familiar okay. with the hover yacht, yes. I, f- I forgot whether or not you were familiar with that old, hoary old gag that I should have never revived just now. <laughs> anyway, yes, to a new and extremely cold and snowy and remote location. Well, that seems fitting, you know, for the time of year. Yes. So this week, instead of our standard DVD shelf, we will be having one of our fabulous Informed Opinions segments. So our, our uh, Sound of Sight contributor, Amanda Williams, came on to talk with us about physical disabilities. And so that'll be at the end of the show. A lot of fun there. Yeah, I wasn't sure how that was going to go because it's a lot more sort of freeform than our other spots, but I thought it turned out really well. Yeah, it was a lot. Of, it was it was a good time. And uh, those of uh, of you who have been listening for a while will recognize, of course, that Amanda came on previously to talk with us about House. So so there was a lot of uh, good TV discussion there. That'll be at the end of the show. We heard from a bunch of you guys uh, this week, and I'm going to start with Derek Cordo. We got we got our first long time first time Simon and that's pretty good. I'm very excited about this. He left a comment at the website saying long time first time. I was just wondering if either of you had seen MTV's Teen Wolf. I know what you're thinking, and yes, it is aimed primarily at 12 year old girls. Far too many scenes in the boys' locker room, sans shirts. But it is much more than that. You both enjoy genre TV and are more than okay with past TV shows like Buffy and Angel and Firefly. And while it's different from early Joss, it feels like something that's influenced by early Joss. And that's not a bad thing. Give it a try. The second half of the third season starts in early January and the first two episodes are on Netflix. I love the podcast. Keep the great work and have a happy holiday season. Derek from Toronto. Duh. Derek, Derek from Toronto. You've made, you've made my heart grow three sizes today. See, I... I I understand that we've been doing this for two years and that we have wonderful listeners that we talk to all the time. But every time I hear from a new listener, I'm just sort of astonished that there are any other listeners out there besides, you know, <laughs> the ones we talk to every week. Um, so, yeah, it's it's wonderful to hear from you, Derek. And thank you. I'm glad that you enjoyed the show. Thank you for dropping a line. As for Teen Wolf, I have not seen any of it. I did hear that this most recent season was a, was a step up and that it's it got a lot more interesting. I know there are some friends of the show who enjoy enjoy the the series are you gonna check in with with teen wolf at all i don't know man after the downturn with vampire diaries i'm hugely suspicious of teen centric uh, supernatural soaps i guess you might want to call them or if that's what teen wolf falls into so i don't know i may check out an episode but i will do so with extreme skepticism see for me it's not the downturn in vampire diaries it's the downturn at least the last time we checked in in awkward the MTV show oh, yeah. that we were big fans of un- until we weren't. Um, so, but but yeah, I would definitely. I'll, I'll check out an episode just for Derek. I'll check out the premiere when it comes back. Mm-hmm. And if there's any more long time first times out there, keep coming out of the woodwork for Kate because it 
it makes her very happy. It does. I have a stupid, silly grin on my face. We also heard from one of our longtime, long times, uh, Mario, who wants to know if we ever watched In the Flesh. It's a BBC America show from the summer um, that is apparently up on demand at the moment, and it has good reviews at Metacritic. There's only three episodes. It's like a zombie kind of show. Have you even heard of this? I hadn't heard of this. I feel like I have vaguely heard of it, but I know nothing else about it other than perhaps the zombie thing, which might just be completely incorrect. If you've watched it, any any of our listeners out there, let us know if we should check it out. I'm, I'm, I my list of shows to check out before we finalize our top ten list has been growing, uh, and I've like my work to whittle it down has not been fast enough. So I don't know that I'll get to it. But what does the queue look like for you right now? Right now, well, I'm supposed to be watching Borgen, but the trouble is because of the subtitles, I can't be multitasking when I watch it. Um, and often I'm multitasking, just like sort of compiling pictures for the website or other things that take no brain power, but often cause my eyes to flit back and forth. And so I would miss subtitles. So I'm trying to watch Borgen, but I'm only like three episodes into the first season. Three very good episodes, but this year was season three. So, you know, I, I kind of doubt that's going to happen. I also wanted to try to catch up with Adventure Time. I haven't even started that. Also, there's The Bletchley Circle, which I wanted to, to watch. That was the one that uh, we discussed with Mo Ryan when we talked with her this summer that I hadn't seen. Still haven't seen it. And then there's also Please Like Me, which has shown up on a couple critics' top ten lists here at the end. It was on Emily Nussbaum's list and... And I want to say maybe James Poniewozik's. It, it was on a couple of critics' lists uh, of people that we respect. And so I'm very curious about that. It's an Australian um, sitcom or comedy. And then there's also Time of Death, which is uh, sort of a documentary kind of series that showed up that on some lists that I haven't seen yet either. So if you had In the Flesh, I'm up to a crazy number of shows to try to watch this week. Yeah, those those aren't even for you. That's too much. That's too much. I still have work. <laughs> oh well, we'll see what I can get done. Um, we have had some people ask our top ten of the year is going to come out next week. That'll be our our podcast episode. Are we limiting ourselves to ten? We have to figure that out when we sit down to record. I think, but it's <sighs> all I know is we both have long lists that we have to whittle down. Yeah, my long list was fifty. That, okay, even I think that's silly. Yeah, but but I mean, my whittled list is down to like 35 right now, um, with five confirmed and 30 sort of in the mix for the last few spots. But um, yeah, it, it's been it's been a good year. Yes, it has. Also heard from uh, Ken, who wants to know, was Rick Satter on Walking Dead over the death of the pigs or what's her name? Uh, and I'm not going to finish the sentence in case it's a spoiler. Um, now, you don't know what the pigs thing is about, do you? No, well, I mean, I've I've read about it, but I didn't see it. Uh, I was going to ask your thoughts on that, but you haven't seen it, so I don't know. Nope. I, I think it was, I think Rick was sadder about What's-Her-Name, and I think that the show, there was more emotion in the pigs scene, so... Yeah, I guess we can have listeners chime in on your thoughts on The Walking Dead. Carl says, uh, no fair, and I want to go home and watch The Office UK, even though I just got Homicide Life on the streets. I think I will either have to stop listening to the DVD shelf or just lock myself in a panic room with DVDs. Isn't that what New Year's is for? I kind of feel like, yeah, that's that's true. Well, it's that or the Twilight Zone, really, is the appropriate marathon for New Year's. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I think you should just find a panic room and, you know. Boxing Day, maybe not Christmas, spend that with the family, but, you know, a couple days after there, you can get all caught up. Yeah, that holiday nether zone. 
Carl also wants to know if we have watched The Wrong Mans, uh, which it was a BBC show that is now on Hulu. And uh, I, I did catch up with that, so thank you for the recommendation, Carl. I'll be talking about that a little later in the show. And uh, do you think you'll catch up with that one, Simon? Uh, hopefully, if I have time. I've heard relatively decent things, for the most part. Also talked The Wrong Mans with uh, Kyle and uh, talked Top Tens with Keith and Ken. And Ken says uh, he recommends Young Justice. Because uh, that's that's one that I know neither of us have seen. I've heard some some praise from other people, but I have not caught up with that show at all. Uh, yeah, that's outside of my realm of interest, to be honest. Well, we'll see if uh, if I catch an episode or two here. I'm not very optimistic, but yeah, you never know. Yeah, Ken also talked a little DVR fatigue. There are so many new episodes still going. This is a little atypical at this moment to have a full show's worth of of episodes to discuss when we're you know halfway through December. Yeah, well, that's that's what has been happening this year. There's just there, it just never stops. It does never stop. Well, we should get started then, seeing as we do have plenty of shows to to discuss. So we will take a break and listen to some music and come back with our weekend comedy. There's a town on the coast, on the path of Father Sarah. Wealthy white guys in boats call the U.S. Riviera With a dark, dirty secret soon to be unfurled It's the murder capital of the world Wait, what? You know, lots of killing, nobody knows You're talking about here Yes Um, no Gus, come on, take a look around Santa Barbara, man Home of the Yin Yang Killer. That was one serial killer years ago. Let me ask you something. Why are you raining on my parade? Don't you have to be at work? And this town needs a man who can stop this reign of terror catching bad guys like flies. When he's given room for error, a man who sees clues almost if they were a lighting. Gets accused to confess because his hair is so exciting. And though his attire's informal, his skills are paranormal. This week in comedy, we have season one of The Wrong Mans. I mean, I love that title, but it is hard to say. (laughs) Because it just makes you want to correct yourself in your brain. Yes, exactly. Um, We have Eagle Heart, the first half of the season, uh, which is what, Paradise Rising? That's what they're calling it. We have South Park, The Hobbit, and we have Bob's Burgers, Christmas in a Car. Before we start with the comedies, I figured I should mention we don't really have a musicals area, so I'm good at this with comedies. We had the Psych musical this week, and you heard a little bit of the opening song there going into this segment. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I had a stupid, silly grin on my face. About 30 seconds in, they do have this fun sort of narration gag that really worked for me. And uh, yeah, I think it it just, it's it's... It's, it fits so tonally well with Psych because they've been doing, this is the Exorcist episode, this is the Twin Peaks episode, this is the fill-in-the-blank episode, this is the musical episode is a very natural fit for them. Um, I thought the double length worked well and the storyline was good. It was a little distracting for me to see, for example, Anthony Rapp show up and then barely sing. Um, so, yeah, I guess, it, you know, it's some of their, just their usual stunt casting, but... Um, but no, I thought the cast held their own in in an, in an appropriate way. I thought it fit with um, 
you know, they're not all singers, but they all sing well. They all were in tune and they didn't sound hugely auto-tuned, which is a delightful, delightful surprise in a in a musical like this, a TV musical where you don't have a bunch of, of singers. Um, but yeah, they did well and it was it was a lot of fun. So I was very glad to have finally seen it. I know a bunch of people saw it at Comic-Con. I'm jealous of you, but at least I got to see it now. Next up is The Wrong Mans, which I happened to catch this week on Hulu. I checked out season one because of uh, Carl's urging as well. I heard from a few other listeners recommending the show, and I'm I'm glad I did. I had a lot of fun with the show. It's a noir kind of uh, – well, it's, it basically it's a straight noir, except that it's also a comedy, um, but not a slapstick comedy. It's, they balance the tone really well, letting it be legitimate noir and mystery while still having it, you know, be the these – I mean, it's, the title – is is fits very well it's these two regular guys who get caught up in this ridiculous absurd noir thing um but but it, unlike what typically happens in these stories where you have one normal person and then you have all the noir tropes you know character types drawing them into it it's a buddy cop kind of thing with these two guys who are completely out of their depth and all of the noir staples staple characters are very periphery so it you know i really think they handle that that well and it's it falls a very clear and satisfying trajectory over the course of the season so i had a lot of fun with it and i think you should check it out i don't know if it'll make my end of the year top top 10 or top 20 but uh but it's definitely was one i was glad to have seen and i also i always enjoy james corden i know some people are not big fans of him because of Gavin and Stacey, which I have not seen. But uh, I really like him on uh, on Doctor Who, and I like him a lot here. And uh, that still doesn't make me excited to watch him be the baker in Into the Woods. But uh, <laughs> but, but but I imagine I'll, I'll actually have a better time with those ads when they come out, just because I'll be glad Americans are getting a better sense of, of that actor. Let's move on to Eagleheart, the first half of the season. This is... Uh... Okay, I don't want to say that you oversold me on it, but <laughs> I have I've I'm I'm disappointed. I, I was expecting more from this season, and I've only laughed a few times. What, what were you? Okay, you were expecting more laughs because I was going to say, were you expecting more weirdness? Cause... No, it was. Okay. I, I felt like this this season took it just a step further towards the heart she holler than the previous seasons. Uh, and I, because I really enjoyed last season, I was very glad to have have tuned in this one. And maybe it's just because of the time, because like, I was watching five episodes in a row, and uh, and I could have instead watched one of these other shows that is, you know, knocking, uh, you know, on, on the on the door saying, "Please, end of the year, please watch me." Um, so maybe it was that, but I was a little underwhelmed. I don't know. I just feel like this season. I mean, the the whole idea that they've serialized it is kind of a misnomer. Yeah. I mean, it starts off that way, but there's really only a few elements that go all the way through. Really, it's just a way for them to to dive into, like you said, a, sort of a more surreal vein. But I don't know. There's, I just think there's a lot of really inspired visual gags going on. Like, not, I don't necessarily laugh out loud at all of them, but there's just, there's a whole lot more invention, I think, than in previous seasons. I mean, even just that visual of the sort of Dickensian nightmare bunks that just stretch out into infinity. <laughs> yeah, like, was... They would have never, they would have yeah. never tried that in previous seasons. And I, I really appreciated it. Yeah, there, yeah. There's certain visual elements that worked a lot better for me that those bunks. Yeah. And Oh my God, the two kids that was creepy coming out of the mouth. <laughs> that was really creepy. There've been some very effectively creepy moments. And uh, that was certainly one of them. The captain getting eaten by his desk because of the syrup or whatever 
was uh, just appropriately bizarre and terrifying and all of that. That's That really worked for me. The walls really... The walls. Really worked for me. <laughs> There's a new batch coming. I mean, come on. How could you not enjoy that? Yeah, I... Yeah, yeah, I guess the, the the some of the stuff is just I guess I I again, I guess I just want to laugh more, but it is it is just appropriately mm-hmm. insane and weird. And and watching it I just I can't I am constantly reminded why isn't it, why isn't Maria Thayer in everything? She's great. Uh yeah, she doesn't seem to get nearly enough work, which is weird because she's so she's, funny and and yeah. also telegenic and I don't know, like there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Anyways, uh, any f- further thoughts on Paradise Rising? Uh, I'm looking forward to how... Because it, it just seems like they've ramped up the insanity every episode. Yeah. So I'll be curious to see how far they can really take that. Uh, although I should also mention my favorite digression involved uh, no viscera whatsoever, which was the uh, concentric circles of, uh, of, of people conning each other. And I think that first or second episode. Yeah, that was pretty great. Um, that was, that was really great. I was sort of hoping they were going to follow up on that, but they never did. Well, and just the whole, to the shift to the, uh, of, of ratio of the video yes. ratio and it becomes death of a salesman <laughs> in yes. the middle. Of it. I love that. Just the lighting of it. And that, that I was, I really enjoyed that. Shall we move on to, to a different kind of upsetting South Park? Yes. You, you prompted me to watch The Hobbit, and uh, about half of it didn't really work, or I should say a third of it didn't really work, but most of it really did, And uh, as far as I'm concerned. And that, that, I mean, that final moment, I was really not happy. I was really upset watching that. It was terrible, and exactly what, that's exactly what they intended. So they did a very good job with it. But yeah, when Wendy's like crying and clicks send, I was like, no! Yeah, that that was their season-ending moment. Yeah. <laughs> okay then, uh, they've gotten really good at at sort of little. I, I I saw it termed as a gut punch elsewhere. I mean, I think they when they feel like going that route with it, they're they're actually it it oh it, it should stop surprising me how effective they are at it because they do it on average now once or twice a season. And yes, I'm I'm going to assume that the third that didn't work for you were the endless Kanye West gags. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, I mean. Okay, I get it. You're doing the Bound 2 video. It's, it's been done a dozen times in the last three weeks. I don't need South Park to do it also. Um, I mean, some of the Hobbit gags were kind of funny, but yeah, they drove that into the ground. But yes, the rest, I think the actual serious part of the episode was, I mean, and, and the thing with them tackling a subject like that is that you keep waiting for them, you, or you keep dreading that they're going to take another twist and, you know, sort of do their, oh, but we're going to make fun of everyone, you know, equal opportunity so that no one gets to be upset about anything and they didn't do that to their credit yeah i thought it worked really well it was very effective and it, it was a nice statement on on mobile phone culture and especially i mean i i see it with my my students all the time they all have a cell phone elementary school middle school high school they all have cell phones and they all have data packages and it's just it's so different than what i was used to or what i grew up with or what is maybe healthy i mean i don't know enough about it to, to really give an informed opinion on that but uh but i so, so i responded to that element of it a lot um very very i thought it was very effective and I, again like you said i appreciate that they don't undercut what they're trying to say by trying to you know appease everyone or be the smart aleck kid in class who doesn't actually have a point of view so you know i, I appreciate that about uh about south park this week 
All right. Let's move on to our final comedy, which is Bob's Burgers, Christmas in the Car. And I was so glad watching this that Capone, Steve Procopi, our buddy over at Annie Cool, made us watch, or made me watch. He didn't have to make you watch, but made me watch Duel. Because I got so much extra enjoyment out of this episode, having that cult, you know, that cultural touch point. Yes, but the nice thing about Bob's, of course, is that if you don't have the reference, the episode still works fine. Uh, if, in, in fact, I, I don't think it has much of an much of an effect at all, except that you get to feel better about yourself. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the pantheon of Bob's holiday specials, this is probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, we, I've been continuing to enjoy the. Uh, slightly dialed back use of music. I mean, we do get a little, mm-hmm. and including one in a pivotal plot moment. <laughs> if anything, on Bob's can be de- you know determined as a pivotal plot moment. I, th- I mean, I, th- I think my favorite moments of the episode were actually just the cutaways back to the apartment with um, <laughs> with Teddy, with Teddy trapped in their in their in their Santa trap. That w- there there were some truly inspired moments there. Yeah, and in just that he wants him to read the card before he takes the refrigerator off of him. It's pretty great. I mean, it's such a terrible Santa trap, and the fact that it's so clearly and effectively captured Teddy was perfect. It was delightful, um, as was a lot of the, uh, the 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 details of of the the diner and the chase and the music at the end, the jingle in the jungle. Was that what that was? Yes, that's what that was called. Yeah, it was. There was. It was a lot of fun, and I would agree. It's not quite at the heights of their very best holiday specials, but I think I liked it better than last year's Christmas special. Which one was that? The one with the storefront. Oh, yeah. I would say about on par. Yeah, it was good. They, they, Bob, Bob's is good at holiday specials. I keep waiting for them to falter, and they, they don't really, they haven't really done that. But no. uh, what wins your week in comedy? Uh, I'll give it to South Park just, just, just for that. I mean, I'm not giving it points for the comedy aspect so much, but it's in the, the you know, it's in the category, so I'll, they can have it. Yeah, I'm going to give it to South Park, too, because, yeah, it may not be the funniest episode I watched this week. Um, that would actually... Oh, oh, man, I forgot that The Wrong Man's counts for me. Now, yeah, I'm going to give it to The Wrong Man's season one, because I can. Uh, so, right. yes, I'm cheating, but uh, I'm okay with that. I think you mean because you can. Because I can. Oh, God, that hurts my grammatical brain. Okay, let's take a break. Let my uh, let my brain clear out from all these extra S's, and we'll come back with our week in the genre. in genre we have grim cold-blooded and 12 days of krampus we have american horror story coven head we have black mirror the waldo moment and we're also going to talk a little bit about white bear as we will not be talking about it next week but first we have grim they had a two-part finale this week they were selling it very much as a two-part finale except it wasn't a two-part finale it was two mostly unrelated episodes that were sold as a two-part finale and so therefore the significance of both of them was sort of undercut because you were expecting it to be this big momentous you know event and it it really wasn't so first we had alligators in the sewers some fun moments there but really 
very forgettable. And then we had 12 Days of Krampus, which had a delightful Krampus. Uh, the character design, creature design was, was excellent. Um, unfortunately, he doesn't actually kill anyone. And so it feels kind of, you know, like a, a bit of an uh, underplay of, of who that character, just how terrifying that character should be, that myth should be. But I really did like everything else in the episode. And uh, if, if he just, you know, if he had actually eaten a kid or two, then I suppose it would be a lot harder for you to feel bad about the werewolf kind of twist uh, at the end. But um, anyways, I, I thought I had, I had fun with it. And my review, if you'd like further thoughts is up at soundoutside.org. Let's move on to American horror story coven, which it's funny. I've been reading a lot of uh, really negative stuff about coven over the last few weeks, especially the last week, because people have been doing their, you know, 2013 retrospectives already. And I've seen very little representation of uh, coven at all. And I don't know if it's you know necessarily top 20 material for me, uh, at least on its own. But I do think that the show is up to a lot. And I, I know that we had a little bit of discussion of, is it engaging with its with its subject or not? That was uh, specifically brought up on the AV Club, and you and I had a little bit of discussion about it. And I'm willing to wait until the season is over to fully hold, you know, to hold off judgment on, on that point. But having... <laughs> Having the, you know, Delvin Delory forced to sit down and watch Roots, <laughs> I think that's a form of engagement. <laughs> she didn't actually watch it, though. She just closed her eyes, so she heard it, but she didn't watch it. Oh, but she was still moved, secretly <laughs> moved. <laughs> well, it was it was the, uh, what, the Selma March, right, that, that finally got her along with the music. She, uh, yes. She didn't. She didn't. Wasn't moved at all by roots, even though probably it started chipping away at her facade. Um, that was ridiculous in the best kind of American horror story way. A different kind of ridiculous was the shootout at the salon. Um, I'm the notion of of Angela Bassett teaming up with uh, with Je Jessica Lange, and it's not the characters for me. It's the it's the powerhouse actors teaming up. Mm -hmm. uh, has me very excited for what is coming next. With Kathy Bates theoretically still in the mix because her head should be upstairs. <laughs> I, I, it's very it's I'm, I'm intrigued, and uh, I had a lot of fun with this episode. Even though I I I think that the beginning of this season had more promise for me thematically and ideologically. And it's just sort of been fun rather than, you know, like I would say in that discussion of is it engaging, it's clearly not for me engaging on these issues. Is that all right? Do you care? Is the question, does it have to engage or can it just pose these questions and that's enough? And for me right now, it's it's been, it's been a lot of fun and it's posed some interesting questions and that's enough for me. Well, and it seems to me that so many of these questions are innately unanswerable. So faulting something for, for not doing what is what I think is literally impossible. I don't know. That seems like reaching to me. Yeah, but the other day you were saying, I was arguing that it wasn't engaging, but that was fine. You were arguing that it was engaging. So is this a shift in your perspective or were you just being, you know, devil's advocate? No, I, I think there's more than one way to engage. I think that trying to answer questions is only one form of engagement. Okay. Interesting. I'm sure we'll talk about it more uh, in 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 the uh, the future with the the final. You know, was it four episodes next year? I believe so. Something like that. Um, any other thoughts on this episode? Do you think Queenie is dead? Hell no. Nobody. And I I was actually talking to to Ricky who has really not enjoyed the season and he thinks that because nobody seemingly nobody can die there are no stakes which I'm not sure if that's true. I I, I think that you can have stakes that don't involve life and death, but you know. That remains to be seen, I suppose. 
yeah we'll see how it, how it pays off next year uh, our final show is black mirror and this week the second episode of season two which theoretically should have aired was white bear but the waldo moment aired instead which is theoretically the third episode of season two um we're going to talk about both of them because we're not going to be talking about specific episodes of tv next week we're going to be talking about our, our top 10 or our top 20 of the year um so so first let's start with the episode that was the finale but actually aired first here in the u.s and that's the waldo moment I was not surprised to find out that this was originally an idea for Nathan Barley. Uh, not at all. I have to say that combined, these two episodes, I think, really demonstrate the extreme tonal breadth of the series, which is, I don't know, I this is gonna, this might sound like an odd statement, but I feel like I would like Black Mirror more if it had longer seasons. Okay. Does that make sense? Like, if they really had time to... Because with, with so few episodes that are so disparate, they just kind of have this vague connected tissue of technology huh huh which is to me not necessarily the most appealing hook because it does it it does lend it this sort of you know for 40 somethings looking looking down at everything else going uh, uh uh which is you know kind of annoying to me but uh certainly some of the individual episodes have been effective in a way that i think could have been more so with a wider canvas. That being said, uh, this episode, I think, was the weaker of the two. Um, I think it's... I, I'm not sure if the execution of, of Waldo himself was all that great. I had a difficult time imagining that, A, that course a character would be so widespread, especially by the end, and B, that that unfunny a character would be so widespread. <laughs> also so ugly, but I don't know. Was that just me? Um, no, I wasn't really caught up in that. I was able to just kind of accept that part of it the premise uh, of that and uh, then you know move on from there i enjoyed the episode um i agree it's it's one of the the less uh resonant of of their episodes and um though it it was really it was interesting i was listening to hey watch this with uh you know friends of the show david Bax and paul goble and they were talking about the waldo moment and listening to them talk about it made me like the episode less um, because they weren't big fans of it. And when they're talking about, especially the, the epilogue, I guess, of him being homeless and some of these other elements that, you know, that they hadn't bothered me when I was watching it. Cause I was thinking of it very much as a, as a parable, I guess, instead of, uh, instead of like an actual character and an actual situation. Um, right. so, so that didn't help <laughs> with my enjoyment of it, but I, I, I do think the the basic premise makes sense and and you know the yes it's somewhat of a predictable arc but unlike for me they both really liked the grain episode that I you know had all those issues with um unlike that one where I felt like I knew exactly what was going to happen and I didn't actually want to watch it happen this week I you know we may have had a sense of what was going to happen it wasn't like it was a big shock you know how things turned out but I enjoyed the ride a lot more yeah, and I, I have to say the the sight of uh, Brutus from Rome oh, talk, yeah. tr trying to verbally spar with a vulgar blue bear was quite something. Yeah, well, and, and there's also just some cultural differences where in the U.S. everybody would know the actor's name and it wouldn't matter, you know, it wouldn't be a big deal to find out who the voice actor was behind the character. Um, and so, you know, I guess apparently in the U.K. there's a lot of the local politics, the smaller politics is a lot smaller scale so it gets less coverage or something i was hearing people talk about that it also occurred to me that um you know waldo would never be able to run in the states because you have complicated requirements for getting yes. on ballots so 
that was distracting me also when it probably shouldn't have. Yeah, Waldo would need to be a write-in candidate here. And <laughs> there's no way a write-in candidate would be number two. So, yeah. Anyway, but, but these are not the point. The point is, you know, everything else except for this. And I actually wanted to ask you, when you mention the, the show's sort of uh, going, eh, technology, eh? Um, which is even just sort of the, the title of the show, sort of implies that. I think it's an interesting parallel this week between South Park and then the, the, the discussion we were starting to have with uh, American Horror Story Coven and Black Mirror. And of those three, South Park's approach is the one that, that really worked for me the best. Well, I think the difference is that Parker and Stone are are looking at something that's actually happening, mm -hmm. whereas you know Black Mirror... It, you know, they have this approach of we're, I think the way they put it is this is the way the world could be in the near future. But then they take that and just sometimes it's the near future and sometimes it's a totally different universe. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think it's difficult to, it's, it's easy to see them making those leaps rather than taking observable phenomena and commenting on them. Yeah. Well, but I feel like this is their way of, of commenting on the, what they are observing right now. And I think that this could happen pretty much right now, right? The technology's there. Oh no, the technology's there, but I think again, this is one of the episodes that takes that takes place more or less in our world, and the execution just wasn't convincing enough for me for that to work. Again, if they'd if they'd gone with something more outlandish, like we saw in in the second episode, that probably would have worked. But okay. in our world, mm, I could see something like this happening, kind of, but not like that. And then, how would you relate it to American Horror Stories' approach to? These these say these different themes. Uh, well, when you say technology, how do you how do you fold that? Oh, you mean uh, with just with the medicine? way? No, no, the way the American Horror Story is like aging, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the difference is that American Horror Story is throwing a dozen things at us, not just one. And I, like I said, I'm reserving judgment to see what the complete picture is. You know, I have faith in people like Tim Minier to to concoct an interesting sort of complete arc with that but yeah it's clearly much more of a uh, i mean a, a cluster hoot let's say <laughs> an american horror story it, it's a completely different approach to social commentary yeah let's talk a little bit about um white bear um and we're gonna keep this spoiler free because i'm sure so many people may not have seen it i really engaged with the first like two thirds of this episode but then I, i'm not sure about the ending and we can't really talk about the ending which makes it tricky um wh what did you think i mean I think if you pay if you pay close enough attention, the it becomes pretty clear. Maybe not everything that's going on, but certainly most of it. So I wasn't taken too far back by by the ending. I I did, I did think it was strange how how much those first two thirds felt almost exactly like a TV remake of the movie The Signal, which itself was a an anthology film, which is <laughs> doubly confusing. It's it's really good if you ever have a chance to see it. It's like one third is a straight up horror film another one is a black comedy and the other one is something else entirely um and it also revolves around this idea at least presented in the first part of this episode of a signal that goes out and turns everybody insane anyway um i think i i guess my issue with the episode is i wasn't sure if i needed the uh the credits explanations for everything the okay. uh, sort of the, the recapitulate i actually preferred to just sort out the specific because i think it's all pretty much laid out for you you know maybe not as explicitly as they lay it out in those in the I guess you call it the epilogue but I was perfectly happy just left sort of reeling and then end rather than have it you know laid out for us on a platter like that 
Yeah, I guess my my issue with it, and I have to keep thinking about it to decide really how I feel, but my question mark is that I think the first part is way more interesting. And then it just, the, if, if I feel like it turns a little bit too much into the, the Black Mirror thing of, but look at us. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Who are the real monsters? You know, like, it's so, so it just it felt like a little... Do you see? Yeah, exactly. So the same thing we were talking about with, you know, with the Waldo moment and with some other you know, parts of, of this, this show, the season one and season two. So, and, and again, that performance from Lenora Critchlow was really effective for me. I thought she did a really good job. And it's it's just also encouraging every now and again to see someone who is so okay looking terrible. Because I feel like shows rarely do that. And she looks terrible at the beginning of this. Yes, she does. Uh, I, I just want to also mention, because we discussed this a little bit, I think Black Mirror proves that this would be an incredible time to do a Twilight Zone reboot or something exactly like it where, you know, genre writers and directors could come in and just do a one-off every week. You know, imagine seeing 15 to 20 episodes of that every year with decent funding. I mean, that could have an amazing result. And you wouldn't necessarily need the connective tissue of something like Black Mirror with where it's, you know, there's sort of a thesis. It could just be loose. We just need Black Mirror to make a bunch of money so people are willing to pay for it. I think yes. there, there's there's little sense that audiences will tune in every week for new characters and new performers. But I I mean, I would like to. I love The Twilight Zone. And I think it's been a lot of fun to watch these different like sort of what ifs of Black Mirror. Of course, they might do it if it was more like American Horror Story style where there was a consistent repertory. Yeah. Yeah. Or near wolf style. It's been an interesting season or two seasons, I guess, for Black Mirror. Wow. That was two seasons. I felt like half of one. Yep. Well, what wins your week in genre? Huh. I will give it to... I'll give it to White Bear. Yeah, I'm giving it to White Bear, too. All right. But uh, now let's take a break and come back with our week in drama. In drama, we have Parenthood, All That's Left is the Hugging, Treme, Divermouth Blues, The Homeland Finale, The Star, and The Masters of Sex Finale, Man High. So Parenthood did not have its mid-season finale like we thought with Election Night. Instead, it had it with All That's Left is the Hugging. Um, and it, it it really tied up some of these. We, you know, we had closure in Election Night, but we didn't have the aftermath. This week, we got the aftermath. Were you happy with this being the mid-season finale, or do you think they could have just waited and aired this in January? No, I think it was it was good. There were some nice uh, plot punctuating moments. I just wanted to say I was total. I mean, we don't. I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty sure I was totally right about Ryan. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, you called it. I, I totally called that, and I think they've done uh, as I mentioned, as, as I'm about to mention rather on the uh, on our segment with Amanda. I think they've done a good job with that character in terms of 
not landing uh, too hard in any particular direction, uh, even despite his scenes with Zeke, which I think are were good as usual. Uh, I have to say that last shot I was not expecting, so I don't I mean I'm not sure how much I care, but it was well done. Yeah, I, I don't really care about Amy coming back, um, but I, I thought, oh crap, she's going to come back pregnant. Then I remembered, no, they already did that. So she's not. Right, yes. Uh, so I don't know why she's back. Um, but hey, Drew needs some some, some happiness. Poor Natalie. Uh, you know, I, all all of this stuff with, um, with, with Crosby, I thought, was highly entertaining as usual. Crosby's been the most consistent source of comedy this season. And uh, he's, he's, uh, Dak Shepard has really hit that out of the park. As for the rest of this episode, I, th- I didn't mention this in my review. I probably should have. I think they went a little overboard with the Mae Whitman is crying stuff. It was it felt a little too heightened, and I kind of disconnected from it a little bit. I don't know. I didn't really have that. I mean, she's going through a lot. I think it's fair. My question isn't her performance, the actress's performance, or the character's emotional state. It's the editing of it, I think. And, um, I mean, of course she's really upset. This is a very traumatic time. While I was watching, I, I was disconnecting a little bit from from her because I was like, okay, we get it. Sort of like when they go to Claire Danes when the, in her wobbly chin one too many times mm-hmm. on Homeland. Um, uh, so so I, I was a little less sure about that. We don't get any mention of Camille, which felt a little odd in a mid-season finale. I wonder when she's going to be back. As long as we're talking about stuff that bothers us. Uh, so how do you feel about Julia and Ed? Oh, God. Well, I... <laughs> They knew they need they were gonna do that. You know, the writers were like, "We're let's have this happen." Uh, Julia makes the stupidest rookie TV drama character mistake ever of going over there, um, and then I'll give him a hug. It's like, oh my god, you could just see the strings while it was happening. And Eric Christensen and David Denham did their very best with what they were given, but it feels very perfunctory. Well, and I think it doesn't help that they've suddenly, I mean, what appears to have happened is they've suddenly decided to reform Joel at this particular moment. Which, yeah, now uh... he's completely sensible and likable. I was reading some of the reviews where there's people feel like she's been ridiculous and completely in the wrong this whole time and just absurd. And he's been completely stable and right. So I'm curious if that's just like our reading is different from everyone else's. Oh well, I don't. I just don't think we've seen enough of him to know that he's stable and correct. Just he yeah. hasn't been. We haven't really seen his perspective at all. Yeah, I mean that's how that's how I feel about it. But um, she's had more rope to hang herself with. Let's put it that way. That's very true. That's very true. the The start of this episode actually had me very encouraged. I was like, oh, they're going to go in a different way with it. Oh, that's so nice. They're going to go the way of, you know, caring about each other and trying to fix their relationship and all of that, and not just the cliched. And then they went to the. And then she's getting herself all made up with a little too much makeup so that we can, you know, know that she feels like a whore a little bit. Uh, yeah, it was a little, I was disappointed. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, in uh, in Kadem's We Trust, I think yeah. they, they'll, they'll write the ship after too long. But, you know, this may be just the natural after effect of extending their season, which may not have been a good idea. Yeah, I think uh, they may have done a little better with 13. They showed they they did an excellent season last year with that length, and this does feel like a show that might be benefited by a little bit of a shorter run order each year. Any other thoughts on Parenthood, or should we move on to Treme? Let's do that. Oh, man, the trombone. The trombone playing this week was ridiculous, and like the whole conversation about Creole actors, like, oh, but he could pass, so I'll just 
you know, play this this not white character with a white actor, and that's totally fine. I do wonder how if that was based on anything specific, mm-hmm. because it did seem like. I mean, I I just can't think of an instance in the last five ten years of an actor being ca- like of the wrong race of actor being cast in a prominent role. Am I just not thinking of anything? I don't know enough about it. You know about the I I don't watch enough movies to, to to know, but I would be surprised if it wasn't based on a true, uh, you know, situation. Considering I just found out that the the Charisse and her brother and her boyfriend's death was based on something that actually happened this past year. Um, so yeah, I was uh, I I would be surprised if it wasn't based on an experience that someone had. Fair enough. It did strike me as maybe a little bit far fetched, but oh, but who knows. Uh, you're, you're probably right. They, I, I doubt they would just, you know, make that out of whole cloth. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's not often they, they, they let Antoine play offended. Because <laughs> he's, he's, he's so laissez-faire most of the time. So I, I, I liked all those scenes. It was a nice change of pace for him. I do wonder what exactly it is they're doing with Davis mm-hmm. over this. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, you've got screeners. You've seen a little more than me or you're about to. So I, I wonder... Because it seems like some weeks we're interested in him sort of potentially pursuing this job, and other times they just drop that entirely. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, obviously Davis has been an aimless character himself, but when we get that scene at the at the opening with him in the DJ booth alone, like I'm not really sure what the point of that scene was. I don't think that's about Davis. I think that's Davis as David Simon and Eric Overmeyer's voice, right? Basically. Yes. Um, he's he seems to be very much especially this season they've really centered on him this season and used him as the glue to hold all these different storylines together um I, th- I think he's even more than than usual speaking as sort of the the narrator of the show and uh that that opening scene was a bit it was a bit on the nose but uh, i still enjoyed it um yes is is it didactic probably but uh i enjoy the character so much that i'm willing to go with it. and i enjoy the music so much that i'm kind of willing to go with it Mm-hmm. We, of course, should mention Albert, who is uh, coughing a bit more, and uh, but that doesn't stop him from going out on New Year's and getting his dance on. That was so great. I, I need that image somewhere. Just I need like a poster of it just to keep me happy. Yeah, that was, that was pretty great. I liked seeing LaDonna's mom, too, and her perspective on all that. It would be wonderful if LaDonna's mom and her kids could see Albert and her the way that we do and know that they're such a perfect fit with their personalities and their experiences and everything but especially with him sick that can't you know they have their own lenses through which they're viewing the situation so they're never going to see that the way that we Mm. are Um, and that's really too bad but I thought the scene with her and her mom actually worked really well I I, you know I'm liking a lot of the the smaller character interactions this week you mentioned Davis I really like what they're doing exploring with him and Jeanette and um, I like that it seems like maybe he's maturing a little bit or he's like learned a little bit from what happened with Annie. Yeah, we'll see. It, it He certainly carries himself a little bit differently. Uh, you, you mentioned the scene with LaDonna and her mother. I just wanted to mention that I like the way that scene shifts from warmth to venom in like a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> and just both actors doing a great job with that. Definitely. Any other thoughts on Treme this week or shall we move on? Uh, no, I'm just... I, as per usual with Treme, I feel like it takes a while for the whole thing to really take shape, which is uh, just a little bit more urgent this time because they've got, what, three episodes after this? Two. Two! Two! Oh, God. 
All right. Yeah, I'm already going into withdrawal. Let's move on, though, to Homeland, uh, the star. We tuned in for the finale because we could. Uh, yeah, why not? I didn't, feel like, didn't feel like I had missed anything. And then when I started the episode, it didn't really feel like I'd missed anything. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, so clearly we're being thrown right in the middle of a situation here with, with Brody. I guess Brody's back to being good with Saul, uh, but I don't really care. So I didn't really care the way that they contrived for him to not be. So I don't really care the way that they contrived for him to be again. Yeah. I mean, I think it says so much about the state of Homeland right now that, uh, okay, if you haven't watched it, you can stop. You just spoilers, stop listening now. We're gonna, spoilers, spoilers. I mean, they killed Brody, which I think became incredibly obvious that it was what they were going to do within the first 10 minutes of this episode. Um, and I think actually as an individual episode, I thought it worked really well. Mm. Um I think that they did what they should have done a season ago. Yes. And they did it. I, Although I think it says something that this, I thought the scenes with Carrie after the fact were actually way more affecting than the actual death, mm-hmm. um, which I think says something about how much they've downgraded that character by keeping him alive so long. I mean, I, do, I think they did a great job of reminding us of just how awful his lot in life has been. And maybe how you know how little choice he he may have had at various points in his life, but um, the execution ah, ah see what I did there execution of the whole thing <laughs> was just a little off. I mean the way they had um, Saul and his people on the phone being like, well that's a you know that presumes you even get to the safe house, and the ride to the safe house is like the most chill thing in the entire <laughs> history of Homeland. That car, um, that car's gone. Yeah, the um, the way the decision to not have any uh, Dana. Or Marina Baccarin involvement. Jessica. Jess, thank you. Dana or Jessica or the other one involvement was weird because everyone's been complaining about the fact that they involved those characters too much this season. Wouldn't you want to involve them in this episode? Apparently not. Uh, Kung Fu Carl, right? I want to say it's Carl. Oh, yeah. Isn't it Nick? <laughs> Nick. Nick. No, no, no that's, that's him. Mind, huh? Yes, right. I <laughs> See, can't that get, tells yeah, you, you know, that tells you our level of engagement with these characters. And this is a show that we loved in its first season and a half. And a half, yeah. So are you going to tune in next year now that you know that Brody's dead? I mean, uh, maybe he's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it, it'll depend on what their game plan is. If it's just let's get the bang- gang back together and do the same thing except with slightly different characters, probably not. If they can reconfigure it in an interesting way, great. But, I mean, it did feel like a series finale. Okay. Like, And it felt like a decent one. Yeah. I was, I, I, seems like you liked this one a little more than I did. It was very, I, I used this term earlier, but, uh, for, for the Julian Joel stuff in Parenthood, but this felt very perfunctory to me. And, um, I was not particularly concerned with the stakes of anything. Uh, and that says a lot. I mean, cause I do really, really enjoy this cast and these performers and I want to like the show, but I didn't care. And that's probably because I've skipped most of this season, but, uh, but yeah, if you're going to kill off one of your main characters and I don't care, then that's, yeah, not saying a lot. Um, I, I, we'll see whether I tune in next year. I guess I'll kind of wait to hear what critics have to say, our, our fellow critics, and then go from there. But uh, let's move on to the Masters of Sex finale, Man High. I imagine you have more to say about that one. Uh, probably. I, I was hoping they'd go out with a bang so that I could feel more positive about the show as a whole. I mean, I think that I'm excited to see what they're going to do with it now because you know it's showtime they don't they're not necessarily i mean do they produce all their episodes at once after the pilot i kind of feel like they do yeah i feel like they do um let's just go with that so you know they haven't necessarily had the chance to retool anything 
Uh, and reading interviews with, with Michelle Ashford after the fact, I think that some of her ideas about where to take the show from there, especially with regards to William, uh, Virginia, and Libby, I think some of that stuff could be really, really interesting and different, um, especially because they need ways to fold in Libby more naturally. But uh, I thought it was just a good finale, not an amazing one. I mean, I all the stuff with, Les, with Lester and Jane was awesome. They're like the new best you know, pairing on TV for sure. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I'm not going to exclaim what uh, Lester what Lester was exclaiming, but it made me happy. <laughs> um, but um, I don't know the, the the pacing of the episode is weird. The, the 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 idea of centering most of it on Barton and William rather than William and Virginia was weird. I mean, not bad. I mean, Bo Bridges is good, and their scenes together are all good. But it was they ignored that relationship for so long that to go back to it then was odd. Uh, lots of weird little decisions. Uh, nothing offensive, but uh, definitely a little bit. Not not exactly what I was hoping for or expecting, I guess. Shall we get it out of the way, Ethan? Yes, let's let's do that. Um, Ashford gave an interview with, I mean, maybe she addressed it in other places, but uh, Sepinwall asked her about the Ethan thing, which I was really glad he did because it had been ignored elsewhere. And this explains everything about the way that that, character evolved or didn't but she kind of had this conception of him as being you know evolving from a boy to a man and equating hitting a woman in the Domestic face with being a abuse boy with yeah okay yeah which like okay like it, it, th that just gives me like huge cognitive dissonance like if you wanted to go showing that evolution is one idea having him punch our leading lady in the face is another idea i'm not really sure how they connect in a psychologically a coherent way yeah that is not very like that's what she was going for with that as opposed to yeah we went too far with that and we had to retool because you know that so apparently that was a conscious choice to show that he is immature wow that is <laughs> that is so not that is that is so problematic it's not even because people, abusers, just stop abusing when they grow up, guys. That's how it works. Um, anyways, okay. Sorry, I, I didn't read that part of the interview. So clearly, it's a little, like you said, cognitive dissonance. Uh, I, that that does explain a lot with the character. And it kind of confirms what I was feeling earlier in the season where this was a problem for us and specifically a problem for me. And I didn't feel like it was a problem for the writers. And apparently it wasn't. So now I know uh, expectations have been shifted so i know to expect no fallout from that as much as i might want it um yeah i thought that the stuff with him if, if again if you forget that he punched virginia in the face you know then i think everything <laughs> they've done with ethan this season has worked really well um so <laughs> yeah um well and the actor's just just so like boyish and and theoretically lovable that it just it, again cognitive dissonance it's very strange uh, i thought the actual the run-up to the presentation and the presentation itself went really well Although I found it confusing that she was on, like, she was, Virginia's listed on the report, mm -hmm. but uh, wasn't even invited to the presentation. Very, I thought that whole thing was really strange. Felt a little contrived. Yes. Yeah, that's the word for it. Yeah, well, especially because, you know, then the um, Julia Nicholson, whose character name I'm not remembering at the moment, calls William out. William Paul. Yeah, who's, who's us? And he says, Me. Me is us, and but but if her name is on the report that he's handing out to everyone, yeah, the royal we, like then, he says, yeah, then that doesn't, 
make any sense. So, you know, because you know, it's not like he made up it made it up later for her. It was that them implied that he had already written up when he initially wrote it up and had it made. He he credited her. Um, and so then to not credit her in his speech felt very strange and awkward. Um, but I, it was a nice touch at the end. It just was a little odd to me. Um, I also really liked everything we got with Alice and Janney this week. I, th- I thought they, you know, that coming together like that made sense and, and worked well and how that's going to tie in with, I'm assuming the eventual work masters does exploring homosexuality um, should be, should be interesting. Uh, what did, what did you think of that? I mean, I, I, I just wanted to mention that through the interviews, I found out that a lot more of what's going on with those peripheral characters was actually drawn from history and from masters life. Um, either stuff that was made explicit or stuff they could read and read between the lines about. So I, I just wanted to say props to them for, uh, for, from all reports, they they done a fantastic job adapting the material, finding what works dramatically, and then sort of moving things around as necessary. Um, so, uh, like, I mean, for the I mean, for the fact that like Libby's kids, for instance, uh, would have already existed by now, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is uh, which they oh, they don't want to do that. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, little little things that don't that aren't necessarily you know deal breakers to move around i think they've done a, in terms of you know adaptations of real life stuff i think they've done it in a very different way from other shows that i think has mostly worked it's just the the details that haven't worked out so well all the time speaking of libby's kids because I, I didn't know you know that the, the baby was going to be all right so so i thought that actually worked well i, I sort of had a oh goodness not not again kind of grown in my belly when 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 she started going into labor um so i was i was very pleasantly surprised to see her holding her healthy baby boy or girl <laughs> baby just healthy not, baby at the yet. end yeah healthy baby so soon to be played by several babies unless they advance a few years which they very well might anyway any other uh, thoughts on the message of sex finale how did how did this finale and this season live up to your hopes after the pilot I don't. I mean, I. I don't think. I think the pilot was probably still the best episode, sadly or close to it. I mean, I think that with a little retooling, I. I, I still can't shake the feeling that it could be like a really great show. It's just not there yet, and I'm just hoping that they do the legwork to make it happen. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, right to me, and I'm. I'm glad that we engaged with the show so quickly. I felt like other uh, other people took like a few episodes to really see what we saw in that pilot. So I'm glad other people have been enjoying it. Um. I would agree. There are a few issues that I'm hoping that they, you know, address and work work on and really think about over over the hiatus. And we'll see what happens next season. I'm glad it's coming back. Yes. So, what wins your week in drama? I'll give it to Treme. How many ch- chances do we have left to do that? Tears on this on this podcast zero because we won't be talking about the next two weeks because we'll be finishing up the show right well then yeah then in that case i have to give it to treme i was going to give it to treme anyways but then i really have to give it to, to treme i love that show so much um even you know an episode that like last week that i'm not 100 percent on i still i still love this show um so that wraps up our week in tv our outro music is sweet tweet by the bicycles you can find this post up at soundofsite.org where you can leave us a comment let us know what you think let us know if you're a first time long time we would love to hear from some new long time listeners first time writers uh or commenters you can also email us at televerse at gmail.com you can find the podcast up in itunes where we have an m4a chaptered feed and an mp3 unchaptered feed we would love any feedback you could give us there it does help the show you can leave a rating or a review. Um, let's see. You can also, of course, reach us on Facebook, where you can like us to follow what's going on at Soundsite TV. And you can also reach us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are? At Sucker Howl. So what is our question of the week, sir? My question is, why haven't y'all 
all reviewed us on iTunes yet. That would be it's nice. Christmas. It's, it's Christmas. It's Christmas, guys. Yeah. It would be nice to get another it makes, one. It makes Kate sad when we don't get reviews. Uh, sure. I can be the... the it, it is it is appreciated when we do get reviews. I will put it that way. I don't, because yes. it makes me sad to not get reviews. That, that's, that's no. But anyway, I can see it. It makes her sad. She's she wants to look strong for us. Uh, the the other the only thing I'll mention is if you want to have any say in what our top you know our our top ten blowout is or what our you know various favorite elements of the year have been in television, let us know this week. So I don't know if you have a category you want us to to talk about favorite action scene, favorite I don't know. Help me out here. Clearly, I'm having trouble coming up with good ones. Yeah, exactly. That's why we need your help. We're terrible at this. But now we'll take a break, listen to some music, and come back with our Informed Opinions segment on physical disabilities with Sound on Sight's Amanda Williams. Synthetic fail. Calibration required. Synthetic fail. Calibration required. I got a fix for that. What? It gets creaky sometimes? I've got a fix for that. Olive oil. Olive oil. Yeah, man. You put it right on the joint. Olive oil. You'll thank me. the televerse this is kate kalsik joined as ever by simon howell and it's televerse 120 which means it's time for another informed opinions which is our segment where we bring on on people with experience in their personal lives that allows them to relate to some element of television and then we talk about it and this week we are very excited to welcome back amanda williams one of our, our previous dvd shelf guest you you talked house with us which was so much fun and she's going to share her experience uh with physical disabilities we're gonna talk a little bit about the the rash of tv characters becoming amputees that has been sort of taking over television the last couple years as well as i'm sure a number of other issues amanda welcome back to the show thank you for having me now have you noticed that as well or is that just me I am noticing a trend that disabilities are being incorporated into television a lot more now than um, before. It seems that, especially this year, there seems to be a lot more, not just amputees, but um, disabilities in general, whether it's um, mental, emotional, um, physical. Uh, there, there really seems to be an all-encompassing spectrum of disabilities on TV nowadays. Um, and to various degrees of success they're portraying certain disabilities and it's interesting watching the ways that they take on the issues whether it's um, from birth you know a character arriving or um, whether it's the main event of the show whether it's the you know the character's main backstory uh, there's a lot of different ways that they tackle it and it's been interesting what's your personal experience with physical disability for our listeners who may not know 
Uh, well, I was born with um, proximal femoral focal deficiency, which means, and it's PFFD, and that means that I was born without hands, and I was born with a shortened uh, right leg. So I have worn a prosthetic since I was three years old. So that really has been um, sort of just a main factor in my life for you know since I was a toddler, and it's it's been interesting just seeing how many amputees are on TV or in movies and, you know, watching more people, you know, become disabled in TV has been interesting because, you know, I haven't seen that a lot when I was growing up. Well, and I imagine that's, as a kid growing up, that's got to be something that you really, you notice. You can't look on TV and, and see yourself in the same way. Right. You know, it's weird because you don't see yourself, you know, in a mirror 24-7. So you don't see the way that you look when you're doing things, when you're performing simple duties or tasks throughout the day. So when you see it on a commercial where it's a person with a, you know, that's an amputee um, being fitted for a prosthetic, or you see someone in your own, you know, prosthetic clinic being fitted, you realize what it looks like and you kind of understand what other people, how people see you. And so to see it in TV and movies, you know, it's a completely different experience because you're starting to understand, you know, how people dealt with it. Um, because I don't really remember most of it when I was a little kid. So seeing people go through it is really interesting. But I also have my own thoughts thinking, well, I don't know if that would have been that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and when I think of this year of television, should we list off some of the shows? Because obviously, if you start in the fall, we have you know, a show like Ironsides coming back, which it's the fact that its main character is in a wheelchair is far from the uh, definitive uh, element about that show for me. It's that it wasn't very good. Right. Um, but but you have Almost Human, where the character it has a leg, uh, an artificial leg, but it's like a fancy future one. And uh, and then there's of course this this year or was, did it start last year on Grey's Anatomy with Arizona. That was it last was, year, wasn't it? Yes. See, I, clearly I'm behind on my grays. I need to, to catch up. Um, what are some of the other um, shows that, that stand out? I guess Orange is the New Black. Um, I actually haven't watched Orange is the New, the New Black. I meant to watch it, and I didn't get to it. But um, Shame. Yeah, no, there's I so know. much There's so much good TV. It's it's. I'm behind, too. <laughs> right. I have my few simple shows, and I stick to them, and it really doesn't leave much else for anything, um, much time for anything else. But I just wanted to talk about Almost Human for a minute. Um, what I found really interesting about the way that they portrayed that specific case is that you have the element of it being in the future. He's got this really high-tech, you know, um, synthetic leg that has all these, you know, flashing lights and it has all these really cool features, but he's got problems with it. And it's the really cool thing that you haven't seen before is, you know, growing up, I, I was, you know, always watching Star Wars and uh, Inspector Gadget. And, you know, I would, you know, be playing with kids and they would say, you know, does your robot leg do things? You know, can it like, does it have powers? Does it have super strength? And so to see almost human in the future, but he's got problems with it. It squeaks. It, you know, doesn't function right. That is really cool because it, in this really crazy world of high-tech gadgets and really strange crimes, you know, he's got problems with this really high-tech thing that just, you know, gives him problems. And for me, that was one of the greatest things that the show has done so far. Well, I, I find it, in, like, I've, I've only watched those first two episodes, actually just for the first time for this segment, because I didn't really have that much interest in the show, to be honest. And one decision I, I found interesting was that it's the future and he's got a high-tech, you know, bionic synthetic leg or whatever, which obviously connects to his robot partner. But I find it interesting that 
they made the, they made the decision that he still doesn't have any feeling in that leg apparently like he does this thing where he tries to make a kid laugh by stabbing himself in the leg and doesn't feel anything and it's highly ill-advised and i would think well if it's the future and you and you've got like a fancy and you can have like fancy future you know synthetic prosthetics or however you want, you'd want to call them now i'm confusing myself would you not want them to have nerve endings well, that is something that they're incorporating into Grey's Anatomy this season is that um, Derek Shepard, he's the neurologist, he is working with Cali Torres in Arizona to create a limb that would actually have that um, nerve sensory function. And if you put it on, it connects to, you know, your entire nervous system and you can feel. And I really found it interesting is especially in the re- most recent episode, you know, Arizona, who is the amputee of the show, she um, expresses her, you know, doubts and her f- frustrations about it because she doesn't feel that she needs to improve on what she has because she's finally accepted how she is and how she feels in her leg and so it's interesting that they're incorporating that into a show that takes present takes place in you know present day and yet in the future they don't have that yet so it's kind of it kind of starts an interesting thought process of why they wouldn't get to that point in the future if they're already starting it now in a present day show well i kind of thought of it as a choice that he had made because when you look at what else is going on in almost human right now, well, first of all, I think they just, they wanted to have a joke where he stabbed his leg. I think that's really what it comes yeah, down that to. Was main yeah. Thing, I think. That <laughs> is that, yeah, that's something that amputees would take, you know, take advantage of. Uh, but, but if we're going to retcon a reason why other than the writers thought it would be funny, um, I, I maybe that's a choice he made because he does have this issue with, you know, he's got clearly, the guy's uh, robotist or whatever, because they they prefer they don't prefer the term what synthetic or yeah. robot or yeah. So um, and, and so maybe he didn't want to have feeling in his leg because it it felt foreign or it wasn't natural or some sort of other you know issue that he has emotionally. Just because thinking you know if they have they have uh, like sex robots they have other you know that can that that feel normal and that theoretically are responding to stimuli so like dorian must have feeling in his limbs or he would be messing them up right as he's walking around he's in the he's a police officer he's getting shot he has to know if he's been shot so he must have right. nerve endings so it seems like that i mean again this is my penchant for over analyzing everything i sort of figured that the main character didn't want to have uh, feeling in his limb and and it's because when you look at what they're actually doing in science right now it is amazing it that is it feels like science fiction if you do do some research into what's what's happening with cochlear implants what's happening with with artificial eyes what's happening with all these different uh d- developments in in biotechnology and and uh especially when when you're looking at you know our prostheses and all of this stuff it's really really amazing so that's what I just sort of figured had to be the case. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense because he he does seem very, um, you know, aggressive at times towards synthetics. And, you know, to the one thing that didn't make sense about Dorian or his relationship with Dorian was in the pilot, they established that he doesn't like synthetics. And yet by the end of the pilot, he's totally fine with having this guy as his partner. Um, <laughs> that seemed something that I was like, well, you know, they could have dragged that out. It could have been something interesting to kind of carry along through the rest of the season. Well, and uh, yeah, th- that's again part of the. This is a TV show, and we want our buddy cops to be bickering, not actively resenting each other. Uh, so, so maybe they went a little too far, and when they first established that, something that you mentioned, uh, Simon, uh, an element, you know, with just the fact that that he does have this less advanced leg, and Amanda, you're mentioning that the the leg isn't necessarily working. I love the the olive oil 
answer. I love that it's like he's got this really fancy leg and Darian's like, oh, it's not fitting right or it's not squeaking, just a little olive oil. And I love that, that they bring that back in a later episode and it actually works and and, and that made me cringe so much. Oh, yeah, because you would never do that. <laughs> no, you would never put household lubricant on your leg. Like, the materials that go into making a leg nowadays, if you put olive oil on your leg, it would probably be the worst thing you could do for it. Now, what are the other things like that where you're watching a show and, and you just have to you have to stop or you have to cringe because it's just so not true? Um, well, I think Grey's Anatomy would be one of the main shows that I can relate to as far as Arizona's portrayal of d disabilities and, you know, what she has to deal with. But there have been certain things that she's had to do, and I'm, I'm just watching, and I just, no, this is not true. Like, I ask myself, when shows are portraying disabilities, who is consulting? Are they consulting a professional, a board of professionals, or a simple person, you know, one person? Obviously, Arizona has her stunt double, who is an amputee, and, you know, she's probably, you know, giving a lot of input. But they had this entire episode that was based on um, Arizona's phantom limb pain, and I don't have phantom limb pain. I have phantom limb awareness, which means that, you know, I could imagine what it's like having using both legs, using both arms. It's a very strange thing. But for her, she has phantom limb pain. And they use this entire, like, the entire spectrum of special effects that they've ever used. You know, all these things are moving around. And I'm just watching this. and I'm thinking, you know, I haven't experienced it to that degree, but I'm really doubting that this is, you know, to that effect you know, that severe. Yeah. Well, and, and it's gotta be a tricky thing where it's, it's gotta be very personal, but at a certain point in, in I, the episodes that I have seen dealing with uh, Arizona's, you know, sort of journey to acceptance and, you know, starting, cause of course I've seen much of the show up until the, the plane crash. And then I got it kind of got away from it and I've sort of dipped in here and there. So I've seen some of it, but I, I've, I've not seen the most recent stuff, but some of it has been really well executed. The performance from Jessica Capshaw, I think has, uh, what I've seen has been fantastic. Uh, but then it, it, when every now and again, a show will, will just go that little extra degree too far. It, I feel like it, it at least for me, it, it, it makes it really frustrating because I feel like they build up all this authenticity and then they waste it by, by trying to over, uh, I guess, schmultify some of, some of these uh, elements. And, and it, it, I feel like it really devalues the struggle and the, the, the difficulties of that experience if you're not honest with it. You know, I watched uh, two of the episodes from that. Like, I, I probably haven't regularly watch Grey's Anatomy since, like, season two. You ever regularly watch Grey's Anatomy? Uh, there was a time long ago, yes. Um, but, yes, anyway, that's a whole other story. But, um, no, I did watch two of the season nine episodes um, that, in, that in sort of, I mean, I specifically honed in on, you know, this aspect of the storyline for this podcast. What I found interesting was, you know, the, the notes that um, Arizona gets, I think, are kind of familiar in terms of that sort of the the spite and the resentment that comes out just as a sort of a gut level reaction to events but the stuff that i found actually more interesting was was her scenes with uh, kelly i mean i i feel like sarah ramirez has probably always been the best person in this cast and her scenes um sort of surrounding her attempts to be a you know a good partner um in the in the situation and her exasperation and her frustration and I mean, I'm assuming that sort of subsides and good things happen later, but that was what I was interacting with. And, and I thought the 
the detail and the intensity of those scenes was really impressive. Um, I would agree with you, first of all, that Sarah Ramirez, I probably am not saying it right either, um, that she is the strongest in the cast um, currently and for quite a while. Um, Also, her rendition of the story is pretty much the only reason that the Grey's Anatomy musical, you know, should ever have been created because it is amazing. Um, But I'd also like to agree with you, Kate. Um, you said that um, portraying disabilities sometimes gets, you said, over schmaltzy. And there, it could go either way. It could be that they really over-intensify and over-dramatize it. And, and th- there are moments where it can get really overwhelming and emotional. And there's times where in the show they've played that really well. But then there are other shows that they kind of touch on disabilities. Like, for example, a lot of cop dramas, they feature, you know, a character getting shot. And so it results in, you know, um, being bedridden or being uh, wheelchair bound or um, just, you know, being out of the episode, out of the show for a couple episodes. But there are some shows that have really ticked me off in the way that they've handled disabilities. For for instance, CSI New York, they had an episode. It was only for about um, five or seven episodes. It was a very short stretch of time that they had um, their character, Danny Messer. Uh, he was shot and he was in a wheelchair. And it really, t- it almost offended me, I think, in a personal way because they really quickened his recovery. They really sped it up. And I think that one of the bravest things you can do as a writer, um, as producers, as anyone who's running a show is if you're going to focus on something that intense and that, you know, um, big of an ordeal that you really need to take your time to really understand what's going on with it. And um, because when you think about it, the character that you are, you know, setting forward to, you know, you, this guy is going to be, you know, our representative of disabilities on the show. You want to make sure that he is going to outline all the issues that come with it. And they have this mindset, it seems, as a viewer, you know, just our perception of it or my perception of it, that they want to write around, write, you know, completely around the disability and just get from point A to point B. He's shot, he's healing, he's recovered. And if you think about it, the char- the people, the real people that they are representing, they have no choice but to write their life around and incorporate their disability into their life. And so I think that a lot of fans and a lot of viewers would appreciate it if they really take the time to go through all of the motions of what the character is going through. And I think that Grey's Anatomy, they deserve, you know, some praise for some of the things that they've done with Arizona. Simple things like not wanting to go to a formal outing because she can't wear the kind of shoes that would go with her outfit because her leg won't, you know, use it, you know, she can't use it with her foot. And I think that's, you know, where Grace has, you know, done a lot of things really well. Yeah. Well, I mean, to play devil's advocate for a moment, I understand that if you're a showrunner or a producer on a, I mean, you don't get any more procedural than CSI. So I, I, I understand that it's difficult. I, I don't, and I don't think it's always possible to do justice to all the angles, but certainly, yeah, if you're going to do something like that, you may as well commit. Well, exactly. If you can't do it well, then don't do it. Yeah. yeah. If if you if you're not going and and it's an excellent point, Amanda. I actually I think you can I think there are fewer cop shows that haven't done the a cop gets shot and they have like their hand is stiff for a while or their um they, their reaction time is slowed and then by sweeps week it's back so that they can do the clutch action save. Um, I think there's fewer cop shows that haven't done that than than have, um, and, and certainly few that have done it. You know, even fewer that have done it particularly well, um, but um, but no, it's 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 an excellent point, and it feels like that's a way for, that a lot of shows it's it's an easy way for them to get 
to get drama and they don't really they're really concerned with you know the reality of these of their characters and maybe that's just a holdover of you know a different style of of uh television where the characters are less actual people and more types because you're you're looking at more um trope kind of storytelling as opposed to individualized really specific character storytelling but uh it's certainly something that that I notice and that that does bother me. One of the uh, shows that I know because we, we didn't really talk about this a lot when you came out for House. I know that House is one of your favorite shows. How how is the portrayal for you of uh, of House's condition, like sort of his journey, which felt very similar to me with uh, Arizona's like the the initial sort of conflict between Arizona and and Callie felt very similar to that initial conflict between uh, House and Cuddy. Once you watch the episode where it flashes back to his surgery, then, you know, the night before his surgery and he writes on his leg, do not cut off this leg or whatever it says. When I saw that episode and I realized his motivations behind saving his leg, it was the fact that he just simply didn't want to lose his leg. It was a frustration for me because I have a lot of friends who, you know, are amputees and unlike me, they had, you know, a whole decade or so of life with both of their legs. And so they made the decision. They decided that they were going to part with their leg because they were ill, because they had an accident, because they needed, you know, the release, the, the relief of not having that pain there anymore. So it's really a frustrating decision that he makes to keep his leg because for the rest of his life, he's not happy. He's, it causes him pain. It's, you know, a constant form of aggravate aggravation for him. So I really don't understand that decision that he makes and it basically sets up his character for the rest of the show. But as far as what we see on a daily basis or an episode basis, it's just it's hard to relate to a guy who has all of this, you know, um, physical disability. And yet he doesn't relate to these people that he's treating who are suffering. And, you know, it's like, how do you face something every day, have challenges in your daily life and not be able to relate to people that, you know, are facing something of the similar sort or, you know, you could find a way to relate to them? You are incredibly egocentric and self-involved, which I think we can agree. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, that's what I would say to that. I mean, I think that it's it's an interesting conflict where I, I understand that that's a frustrating portrayal, but on a certain level, it's meant to be. So, it, you, so you have to sort out, you know, is there a different, like, there's a difference between seeing that character and think that character would not make that decision, it's not credible, versus he's just kind of a prick and that's kind of just a prick decision. Yeah, definitely. Well, one of the elements that you brought up that I, I think we have to touch on uh, is, is emotional and uh, psychological disabilities. And I think of course, the first thing that comes to mind for me is carry on homeland. Um, but I do think there's also been an increasing uh, representation of psychological issues as well on television and are there any for either Simon or Amanda that uh that you think have been particularly interesting or, or well well executed well you I feel like since you brought up Carrie on Homeland we can't not talk about her now yeah she should really not have that job anymore as of years but... ago I, another show I don't watch shamefully I do not touch on most, most of the shows on HBO and Showtime and here's a quick tip for you if you do start watching it and you get to the episode Q&A you can just pretend that's the end yeah, it, it, we aren't big fans of the recent season uh, here at Televerse. And a season and a half, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, but but there, there's some really fantastic uh, performances uh, there. And actually, I think the um, one of the things that the show does so well is is sort of 
comparing, contrasting Carrie and Brody's individual uh, individual traumas and uh, psychological issues. And that kind of, for me, relates to, I, I was curious if you guys, you know, had any ideas of why there's been this trend of, of disabilities being shown on, on television. We've also seen a lot of uh, increase of characters with PTSD, though it tends to be kind of like you were saying, Amanda, on on that on CSI uh, CSI New York and some of these other shows where it's just a, a brief arc of convenient drama, which then goes away. PTSD very rarely gets a really in depth analysis. But I was thinking maybe this has something to do with the increase in in medical proficiency, where people who you know are coming back from came back from Afghanistan, came back from Iraq and you know, just in general in life are surviving things that maybe they wouldn't have before. And so I think there are, I'm curious if, if you guys know anything about this. It seems to me that there are more people, you know, who are amputees, who are, you know, dealing with PTSD, who are dealing with some of these different traumas that, uh, and so there's more awareness of it because of that. Does that yeah. make sense? Well, I think uh, if, as long as we talk about PTSD, I mean, the only kind of halfway decent depiction of that recently that I can think of is probably on Parenthood with the um, with the Matt Loria character. Although, you know, you could dispute whether that's several things. I don't know if you watch Parenthood at all, Amanda. I do not. That's that's all right. That's another one that's been going on for a long time. So I know that catching up is tricky. Hey, I haven't even fully caught up. But yeah. I would say I, I think there it's you know, there are maybe some other issues with that plot line here and there. But I think they've done. A nice job with the fact that even though, you know, the character has, he's met, you know, the, the kindly Vietnam vet would be grandfather in law. Uh, and that's been nice, but it hasn't fixed the problem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the fact yet, yeah, like, it's, it's nice that you're getting that. And it's obviously a good influence, but you're not taking your meds. And there's no, and there's not a substitute for your meds. So I, I kind of, I've, I do appreciate that aspect. Um, well, I would agree with Kate that uh, there's definitely a lot more focus on disabilities, or at least incorporation of disability, disabilities on TV. Um, and, you know, a, a big help would be in movies where uh, you have 127 Hours and uh, Soul Surfer. And some of these movies that are, you know, somewhat recent that have really, you know, decided to take a hard look at the reality of it. Um, and 127 Hours, admittedly, for me, is a movie that I really don't plan on seeing again because that's hard to watch. Um but I, I still haven't watched it the first time. I know I should. <laughs> I, I, I want to, but I also kind of don't because of that reason. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Right. And I think that there is, um, you know, the, the stigma of mental disabilities and emotional trauma and physical disabilities. It's really um, isn't as much of an issue now as it was, you know, um, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, because... You know, you have war veterans who are coming home and that are, you know, have, you know, issues emotionally and physically. And, you know, the, you know, the government, the people were, you know, we're working, trying to get them more benefits, trying to get them more help, trying to get them back to where they were. So it's becoming more of a cause rather than, you know, a problem. It's becoming something that we're working towards to help. And so um, having disabilities, you know, portrayed in TV is a really great, great way for the general public to get an idea um of disabilities and really what it entails, not, you know, to over-dramatize it. You know, the shows that really work in, in portraying it, they're the shows that are doing a lot of good. Um, it can help raise awareness. It can help raise, you know, just some idea, you know, of what people are going through. And, um, you know, the Amputee Coalition of America, they do a lot of good helping people understand, you know, that there is a life after all of this, you know, that you deal with. There is a life after it, and you just have to, you know, get back up there. So, 
you know, TV has done a, a great job, you know, just kind of getting people used to the idea of seeing people with disabilities and that it's not, you know, this huge thing, you know, that just takes over your life. It's something that you have to incorporate and you have to live with. Well, and I think, I mean, another show that I sometimes watch but honestly haven't kept up with much in the last few years at all that I'm surprised we haven't talked about yet is Glee. And, oh, yeah. Um, that seems to be a big obvious one. And actually, Ryan Murphy's shows in general for a long time have... He clearly has uh, a fascination with really any sort of, not just, you know, physically disabled people, but there's been all kinds of just sort of outside of the mainstream, you know, character types for dating all the way back to Nip Tuck or even before. I've never seen popular, so I can't account for that. But he clearly has a fascination with how he, I, I, let me reword re- re- this. He has, a, he, the Ryan Murphy school seems to be get it all out in the open you know, in terms of, especially on Glee, obviously through the through the Jane Lynch character and other characters, you know, there's a lot of derision thrown around between characters, and there's a lot of ugliness to, and you know, and quite sharp satire to go along with all the cloying sweetness. And sometimes that can be a problem, but I think in the context of Glee, they did at least in the first two seasons a really great job with the Artie character in terms of, like you said, showing the way he he's not dominated by his disability, but it is incorporated and it is something he thinks about constantly well and i also really appreciate that unless there's some that i've missed i'm pretty sure there's only been one time where Artie has been out of the chair there's like one fantasy sequence right in the mall yeah in the mall and it was huge and memorable it's really well done but it's not something that the character dwells on so it's something that yes maybe he's thought about that because of course you would but but it's not you know it's not like he's Constantly, they're finding excuses to get him out of the chair so that they can have the actor dance. Who he's he's a good dancer. He does well on the show when it, when it comes up. But uh, I really like that he's not defined in that way. That's not who he is, and so he's not constantly, you know, taking advantage of the the heightened, uh, you know, the heightened tone of the show to 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 get him out of the chair and moving around and dancing all the time because that's not who Artie is. Right. I haven't watched since um, probably the third season, the end of the third season. Um, but from what I saw from those three years, I really liked Artie. I really liked him as a character. Um, there's a lot of controversy over the casting of Kevin McHale, um, who is not disabled. He's not, you know, uh, paralyzed. And, you know, there's there's controversy when any, you know, able-bodied actor is cast in a disabled role. You know, why would they get someone who is able-bodied for some for, for a role that, you know, doesn't require him to be moving around? Um, and the same thing with um, the casting of Ironside as the main actor there. He wasn't disabled. But there's different reasonings behind it with Ironside. It's obviously set up for the pilot to show how he became disabled. So they needed, you know, the actor to be able to do all the stunts and to be able to run around the set. Um and with Kevin McHale, for some reason, I don't feel too, um, like, I don't know, resentful. I don't feel very, you know, negative about his casting. I think that he's just a really sweet character, and, you know, he, the actor has handled it really well. Um, there haven't been any other se- episodes where he's out of the chair, except for when he's trying on those that big old robotic, like, body pants suit kind of thing, where it's like, mm-hmm. it helps him stand. Um, I, I actually wasn't sure about that, like, how how they did that because it's not something I have ever seen people do, but it was interesting kind of looking into his, um, his desire to be up on his feet. And I really do love that dancing. I think that was really sweet. Just, you know, showing his, you know, his dreams in one great 
epic dance scene, and then you know that's it because you know that's life. Yeah, that that might have actually been the best, like the most affecting moment of the whole show for me. <laughs> well, that and I, I'm a sucker for uh, Kurt and Bert, but but yeah. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Kurt and Bert, but yeah. But yeah, and uh, and and that is really an interesting thing where you do have. When when it comes up, where you do you cast an able-bodied person? Do you cast a disabled person to play a disabled character? And I, I guess I would I would like if there was more of that. And, and one of the things we haven't talked about yet is Breaking Bad and R.J. Mitty, who I think has been excellent on the show. And I'm really glad that they they cast you know him for that role because he he's able to to bring extra elements to it to to really make the character feel very honest and not defined by by his disability i wish there'd be more like that more casting like that on television yeah and it was never and to the writer's credit also you know when they were talking you know you know when they have walt in his you know his initial theoretical motivation of i need money for the family it's never they never underline his disability as a as a major reason that he's going to need more money it's just it's it's there it's present but it they it, it was never you know underlined with giant felt tip pen are there any elements? Because uh, I I love following you on Twitter, Amanda Adam Animation, uh, Amanda Mation. Yeah. On on Twitter, I love following you on Twitter because uh, well, first of all, you're you're fabulous. That's why we're having you in the podcast. But also because I get these wonderful every now and again little gems of uh, of wisdom from you about your experience and. Uh, I, I was, I felt, I felt bad for you the other day, but I was also laughing when you were talking about lotion <laughs> and, yes. and then every now and again, you're talking, you talk about heels and there's, there's all these little details that I don't think about because it's not part of my experience. And I love getting that window into in, a little bit through Twitter into your experience. Are there certain, you know, certain elements you have on a wish list that you would love to see a show, you know, mention what are the little nuggets of of true life that you would love to see represented? Oh, um, well, I think that's one of the reasons I love the Michael J. Fox show is that he incorporates, you know, his condition into his character and, you know, he really doesn't have any other choice, but his choice to really embrace, you know, his condition is great because he has such a humor about it and he has such a, a very simple way of using his disability to make small little gags. And I think that's what I would love to see in shows that portray disabilities, you know, amputation especially, is that, you know, simple things like, like your leg literally falling off in the middle of a store. That is something that has happened to me. My leg has fallen off a ski lift. My leg has uh, gotten stuck in sewer grates. That's I call that my Forrest Gump moment where his leg gets caught in that little, you know, grate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that it would just be great to see those little moments that are a frustration. They're irritating. They happen all the time. So you have no other choice but to laugh about it. Well, and I also, I, wasn't there some tweet about sneaking up on people in a prosthesis? Uh, yeah. that, uh, that you were talking about. And cause I've seen, I've, I actually, after you tweeted that I was thinking about, it, and I could think of several instances where somebody who supposedly, uh, it has a prosthetic is, is like being ninja stealthy. And now every single time I, I have that, mm-hmm. uh, that tweet in the back of, of my head. And I, I, you know, for me, when I look at elements of, of my life that are rarely represented. So basically people playing the violin or people being musicians, uh, <laughs> it, it's always those little details that, that, that you look for and that when you see them, it might be the smallest thing, but it just makes you cheer because it's somebody care to get that detail. Right. Right. Well, at, since you brought up Michael J. Fox, Amanda, if you haven't seen any of his episodes on The Good Wife, or even I would say his arc on Rescue Me, 
um, he he did s- some incredible. I mean, just the 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 level of canniness with which um, they dealt directly with his disability and and his uh, and his character canning on the Good Wife. So many great comic moments came out of that. I did see his first episode on The Good Wife, and I absolutely loved it. I didn't keep up with the show enough to know when he was coming back, but his first episode, I just thought, he needs to be on the show full-time. Like, I will watch the show, restart the entire thing, if he's in it, just, you know, five episodes a season. I always just think of that, uh, the picture of him pouring that that cup, and just, oh, so good, so (laughs) good. Okay, do we have, we've gone long, unfortunately, because I think it's a fascinating topic. Do we have any other... Final thoughts on on what you know we, what we're seeing on TV trends, what we would like to see, and any final thoughts on the topic? Oh well, just one t- tiny little point I was going to make about Ironside, which I'm never going to watch. Uh, but um, I would say the other issue with Ironside is that you know Kevin McHale uh, is a you know one player in a large ensemble, so I I, I can understand people saying you know or I in all cases I understand people saying well why not get why get an able-bodied you know, actor for that part? Um, it's trickier when you have to when you when it's the lead and you need someone who people or at least networks believe they need pe- someone that people recognize and is you know bankable on a TV level. So if again from a devil's advocate marketing perspective, I can see how they wouldn't want to get a uh, an because I can't I'm I don't think there are any known not able-bodied. Or, or you know, physically disabled actors to take a lead role like that. So, from their perspective, kind of impossible. Yeah, when I think of the actors that I remember from TV or film playing uh, physically dis- disabled people, they're all able-bodied people, except for except for like there's one or two smaller characters. But if if anybody who's in a wheelchair, I cannot actually think of a suit. Cause I, of course I also go back to Scott Porter and Kyle Rankin on Friday night lights. I go back to some of these other characters and they're all able-bodied actors. And that's kind of, it's kind of frustrating actually to me right now. Um, well, I'm probably going to, well, no, I'm not probably, I am going to go back and watch some of the shows that we've mentioned that I haven't followed up on, um, Breaking Bad, Orange is the New Black, and another show is um, Once Upon a Time, which I hear a lot of my friends like it, but I think that if they include any kind of amputee humor with Captain Hook, that would just make it worth watching in itself, <laughs> and... <laughs> And I think that the more we see, whether it's able-bodied or actually disabled actors, you know, the more we see disabilities display uh, portrayed on TV, the more we're going to see actually, you know, legitimately disabled actors, you know, thinking, well, this is something that is really, you know, it's it's being explored, it's being highlighted, you know. I think that the more we see it, the more we're going to see it, you know, genuinely portrayed. We're going to see actual actors that are d- disabled being, you know, being involved and getting into the, you know, into the art of just, you know, sharing their story through, you know, the characters that they're creating on TV or in movies. Yeah. It's excellent. Excellent points. Um, well, thank you, uh, Amanda. I don't have any, th- I can't top that. So I, I'm, I'm going to just end the podcast. There. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Amanda, where can our listeners find you online? Um, thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Um, you can pretty much catch me on Twitter. I'm tweeting all the time. It's Amandamation. Um, and, you know, on Sound On Site, you know, reviewing here and there. And, of course, you're our uh, weekly reviewer for Almost Human. So everybody can find your reviews up at Sound On Site as the, as the show continues. And, uh, yeah, follow all the – seriously, she's a great Twitter follow. 
stamp of approval from 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 myself. Um, thank you, Amanda, again so much for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse.